0: What is going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Earning Good Day podcast. We have a driving belief that people are stronger, more resilient, and far more capable of things than they believe in or are even told are possible. I'm your host, Zach Kanati. Now, today is going to be a real special episode because we're introducing a new segment to the show called Kanadi's Cliff Notes, which I'll talk more about in a little bit. But before we dive into that, I got a quick ask for y'all, and that is if you find any value out of today's episode, or as a matter of fact, any episode for that matter, please go ahead and implement it into your daily life and your daily routine, right? The whole point of me doing this podcast is to provide you guys with the information, the thoughts uh, to live a better life, to be a better person, to make yourself happier and to just reach your goals more effectively. Uh, So if you find something useful out of this podcast, please use it. There's tons of information about there, about how to do this, what to do, what not to do. Uh, But I think I have a unique perspective because I'm young and I'm have have had to implement a lot of these things myself to have a a good as good of a life as i think i have which i think for the most part is pretty good and i feel so blessed i've learned these lessons i want to pass them on to you guys so if you find any benefit out of this episode or any episode for that matter please go ahead and use that information in your everyday life now what is kanadi's cliff notes all about well most people don't like to read and i've been blessed with uh finding a genre of book that i actually enjoy reading and that has been uh started off as things about biology physiology nutrition uh you know things i was interested in school but it's also been personal development you know how to get over anxiety how to be a better man how to be a better leader and now it's shifting into business right how to start a business how to run a business how to be a business leader uh because that is an area that I want to grow a lot more in and in the next couple years I'll be starting my own business and so I need to you know foster the knowledge that I have to be more effective when I actually do that and I would do it now but I'm in grad school so it's not really going to work while I'm in grad school Uh, (laughs) so basically this episode is to provide the cliff notes version of the books that I'm reading to you guys to provide you with the same amount of value that you would get from the book but in a Cliff Notes version, so a much more abbreviated version. And so it saves you guys some time, some energy, and yet you're still getting a lot of bang for your buck. So that's what this segment is going to be all about. I'm hoping to do one about once a month. It'll kind of just be when I finish books as they go, is as these episodes will come out. So let's get started. What book are we reviewing today? And that is a book called Why Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Uh, He's a five-time New York Times best-selling author. He was an instructor of strategic communication at Columbia University, and he kind of got his fame started off by a TED Talk on business culture. And a lot of his reason for reading this, uh, for starting this book and writing this book is because 80% of people today hate their jobs. Which is really quite sad when you spend a third of your time sleeping and another third of your time at work on average, if not more. Um, so the fact that 80% of us hate our job and more at least a third of our lives is, is kind of sad. And you know, it, it uh, yeah, I don't know, it's sad and it makes a lot of sense as to why people are having so many issues. Not just with the outside stresses, but they spend a third of their lives kind of feeling shitty. So what's the main point of this book, right? What's the thesis statement? And that is the human need to feel connected and safe in our teams in order to perform the best and at our most altruistic level. And we do this through circles of safety. And I think we all kind of understand the concept of a circle of safety, right? It's like your circle of friends, uh, your circle of people you surround yourself with. You hear a lot of really successful people. Keep your circle small. Keep it tight. Uh, And that's kind of what this is all about, is how do we build circles of safety, Why are circles of safety, the core reason that we have to uh, be, or that we need them to perform at our best, and then there's an underlying concept of what it means, and that is servant leadership, right? That's where the leaders eat last comes from. Us as leaders, and I'm going to assume all of us are leaders in some regard in our lives, whether it's family, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a manager at a job, whether we own our own company, or, you know, if you're just an average person and you have some random person who's watching you throughout your life, right? All of us are leaders in some regard, whether we think so or not. And so I think this is a critical book to read. But us as leaders are meant to be the ones to put our foot forward, right? We're supposed to be the ones who are essentially the bigger person you know we eat last we sacrifice for those that we serve uh, in order for those that we serve to be better off and i think it's really critical and this book brings up the topic a lot is thinking about these through uh, evolutionary an evolutionary lens right like because a lot of this was developed back when we still lived in tribes right there's a biological concept that we'll talk about uh and there's an emotional concept that stems back all the way to when we are in tribes as to why we have evolved and developed this way as a species. So just keep that in mind as we talk. But I think it'd be a, g- a good place to start off is how did we get here uh, to a place where 80% of people hate their jobs? And that is, well, the Roaring Twenties, the 1920s, was unprecedented growth. It was just after the First World War, and so we were seeing innumerable amounts of You know, inventions, technology development, and wealth production in the country. Uh, So much so that people want to capitalize on that. And in an unethical way, banks started promising more than what they could deliver on. And then as we all know, in the early 30s, the Great Depression happened. And that is where the stock market crashed. Uh, About 30% of the country became unemployed. And people are, you know, there's videos of history school standing in line where they're just waiting for their single meal of crappy soup and dry bread for the day, uh, and so then we're in the Great Depression. It's universal struggle across the country, and then in the uh, <clears throat> early '40s, the Great uh, World War II happens, and America has to join in the world World War, and we're still struggling from the Great Depression. But you know, now everybody has to set aside their differences to fund the war effort so men of war fighting age and are shipped off across the seas to go fight in the war whether that be nazi germany or imperial japan the other uh, axis forces and everybody left at home especially women so was their time to step up and to support all those men over fighting the war right all those young and brave men who left their homes and are dying to fight the war so women Uh, went into the workforce and masses for the first time in history. Uh, Children, you know, there's a lot of social programs that are developed at this point in time. The National School Lunch Program, welfare comes around, all because people are struggling and we need to uh, rally behind each other, right? So there's almost a sense of camaraderie and fellowship through the struggle that is being developed in in the nation. And then 44 comes around. Uh, we win World War II, right? The Allied Forces do, and Nazi Germany is defeated. We drop the bomb in Hiroshima and the other one, and oh, I forget the other city, but right, World War II's is over. So all the soldiers who didn't die return home, and boom, everybody's so happy. Everybody's elated. Uh, they're living off a massive high. And again, we have another season of unprecedented growth, technological development, businesses are booming, wealth is at an all-time high, and people are so happy, they're getting happy in the bedroom. Uh, so we have the next generation, the baby boomers, about 74 million babies are born in the next decade or so, uh, between the late 40s and the early 60s, that 20-year period, is like 74 million people. And... These people grow up with unprecedented amounts of wealth and prosperity, right? They've never really had to know struggle because this is still a point where you don't have to go to college. You can work a blue-collar job and afford a nice house, afford a car, and afford to put food on your table and not have to struggle that much. You know, things aren't crazy good, but we're getting luxuries that we've never had before. Televisions are coming in. You know, all these crazy appliances are around. And not to say that they're were no issues because we all know uh, this is the heart of when the civil rights movement is starting is in the 60s and uh, equal pay and all that is going on so not to say that there weren't any issues but it is a time of unprecedented growth financially at least uh, for most people and lots of wealth so the boomers are now you know in the 60s and 70s they're now graduating from high school and college and they're entering the workforce and being that they have never lived in a time of struggle they are expecting and entitled to they feel entitled to all this wealth and they want to protect it right so at any cost i'm going to protect the wealth and the corporate structure beforehand was more of let me help on my neighbor right because all those people are coming back from world war ii and it's this national identity and national sense of camaraderie and let me let me help my neighbor because they'll help me right we just spent the last umpteen years fighting a world war where that was the only way we were all going to survive. So now we take that practice into business, and here we go. However, boomers uh, did not have that mindset, right? They did not have that shared struggle, that uh, continued reason to help their neighbors. They grew up with getting everything they wanted, right? Having a food over the table, getting clothes put on their back every year. And so they started to put profits before people. They started to say... You know what? It's more important for me to make my numbers this quarter than it is for me to make sure Joanne and Joe down the hall are doing okay at home and that they still feel valued and safe at this workplace. It is more important for my shareholders to have a high value because that means the company is going to do well, and if the company does well, that means I'm going to make more money, and I'm going to perfect, uh, protect, excuse me, this new, you know, this wealth that I have that I desperately cannot lose. Because losing that would mean struggling. I don't want that. And there's actually a clear point in history where we can say that this was almost like the nail in the coffin. And it was August 5th of 1981 where there was, uh, an elite 11,000 air traffic controllers were fired uh, because they were going to go on a strike that was deemed illegal from the Taft-Hartley Act of 1947. And what that act means is essentially... If people who are not involved in the strike are going to suffer tremendously or it's going to cause harm to general well-being that those workers are not allowed to go on strike. This is also why we never see police officers or emergency room nurses uh, go on strike or, in this case, air traffic controllers. Because them going on strike would cause so much disruption to the rest of the country and the rest of society that it is not worth their suffering Um Fixing their suffering and hearing them out is not worth the suffrage it would cause to everybody else. So it is illegal. And um, so from there, corporations started to uh, have big layoffs, and they did so because they needed to cut numbers. Right, that's the whole reason why those air traffic controllers were to go on strike. They wanted better pay, better working conditions, better working environments, and the company wasn't the air tra- airlines weren't going to let them. They're going to say, well, you have to work, no matter what, uh, because you can't go on strike. And they did, so they say, well, I guess you guys just don't have a job anymore. And that sent ripples throughout the corporate world. Uh, It said, now, hey, you can fire tons of employees just to make your numbers work, it is okay. They're not as valuable, people are not as valuable as profits are, or as shareholder value is. So that means money is now worth more than a person's life. A person's livelihood is worth less than an executive or a company making a dollar at the end of the day. And for this reason, the boomers are kind of known as the me before we generation, right? <clears throat> and there's a concept of destructive affluence, right? Where you have so much extra that you can afford to not care and afford to kind of be uh, heartless, for lack of a better word. And Put the profits and put more affluence above uh, the right thing to do, which is take care of people. Right. And then that kind of leads us, that's kind of, we're at the tail end of that generation. And I'll talk a little bit about millennials at the end, but this is where now we have so much affluence. And millennials, at least people of my age, uh, don't really see why corporations are all about money, 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 money. Like, yes, we love our money, but most millennials want to feel that they're. Contributing to something that they're making a difference somewhere. Uh, It's less about Just making the most money and it's more about feeling the most fulfilled at a company and that we're supporting society so and this Then there's also a story in the book where it talks about how to change this and that there's a a select group of companies the 20% of people who like their jobs the CEOs and executives of those companies actually take a different approach and that is arguably the better approach for people. And the book argues that it's better for business as well. And it's illustrated by a story about a gentleman named Bob Chapman who buys a uh, manufacturing plant called Barry Wee Miller. Uh, and he essentially, it's in distress when he buys it. And he turns around to be very profitable and very um, forthcoming and becomes a leader in its industry again. And the story kind of takes place. There's two events that cause Bob Chapman to really uh, alter his way of leadership, alter his way of dealing with the company. And those are, the first one is he was sitting there right after he had bought acquired the company and he's kind of just walking around the sales floor and the factory floor to kind of just see what it's all about. And this factory floor was uh, driven by bells, right? So it was a bell when... Employee workers had to start working. They had to walk up to the machines, turn them on and do all that. There's a bell for them to go on break. There's a bell for them to go on lunch. There's a bell for them to come back to lunch and start working again. There's a bell for them to go on their afternoon break. And then there's another bell for them where they can leave. And it's a very uh, robotic and rigid and relentless system that these employees must work at. Also, If they wanted to get a spare part to fix the machine, all the spare parts were under lock and key and they had to check them out. Uh, The factory workers on the floor also had to use a payphone to contact their loved ones if they were going to be stuck at work or if they were going to be late, uh, you know, if there was an emergency or whatnot, whereas the office workers were given the freedom to use their phones at will. Uh, They did not have to clock in, they did not rely on a bell system to start and you know, I first read that part and I was like, well, you know, that, that kind of makes sense, right? Like, if you want the factor to be as efficient as possible, uh, then having a bell system so that everything starts at once, everything is on a very clear, consistent schedule, it makes, you know, budgeting, profiting a lot easier. And then, you know, you read and you realize, like, well, that's the whole point, right? If you're looking for profits first, yes, that makes sense. But if you're looking at, excuse me, people first, that doesn't make sense, right? Because now we're causing people to be at harm. We're making people's livelihood the expense, and this is illustrated because Bob Chapman, before the first bell goes off, is watching a couple of the factory workers. Um, they're having coffee in the break room and they're talking about the sports games that went on that weekend. They're making bets, you know. They're telling telling each other about their lives. They're laughing and they're joking around and. All around just having a good time, looking like they actually enjoy themselves, that they look forward to, as people would call it, the um, water station talk, right? And then he tells it, of the bell goes off. ring, 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 And it's like all the energy, all the joy just drains from their face and it's replaced, and replaced by sullenness and sadness. And they just kind of drop their coffee and slug over to their machines and start working for the day almost like sad depressed robots would um, and it, he said it, it was the first time that he had ever seen a, a response like this right in he said it hit him like uh, different than it had at other places because he'd seen this before right this was not his first business he had acquired and the next thing is he has an interview with one of the long-term employees, uh, he was middle management and he was actually just gone back from a three month trip of working and installing projects with a very high up customer and client of the business, right? And he was installing parts for them. he gone in Puerto Rico. So a pretty nice place, I would say for three months to make sure this install was going well. And he said, you know, he's in, talking with Bob Chapman and Bob Chapman is trying to get like an idea of what's going on in the business. You know, what are the, f- workers saying, and how do we make this better? How do we turn it around? And he said, you know, he asked him a question for, he says, if I'm honest with you, am I still going to have a job tomorrow? And Bob Chapman says, yes. And he says, if anybody has an issue with you, you call me and I will take care of it. So he takes a deep breath. Well, it se- and he says, well, it seems that you guys trust me a whole hell of a lot more when you can't see me than when I'm sitting right here. It says when I'm sitting right here, I have to clock in. I have to listen to a bell system. I can't go to the office where the uh, rest of the employees are, the office employees. I have to you know, clock in and clock out when I wanna to go to lunch. I have to use a pay phone if I wanna call my wife and kids, make sure everything's okay. And uh, I have to check out parts if I need to fix my machine. He said I had a whole lot more freedom when I was over in Puerto Rico than I do here. And Bob Chad was kind of taken aback by that. And that actually was the first time that conversation, that interview with that employee <clears throat> was when he started to make changes. And those first changes were there's no more pay phones. They're all replaced by free telephones, landlines. There was no more bell system. And employees uh, did not have to clock in and out for to start their day and to take their day off. Right? So it gave employees a lot more freedom. And essentially what Bob Chapman was doing was he was telling his factory floor workers that he says, I trust you. I trust you to do your job and I'm going to provide you an environment to show that to you by letting you work on your own, right? Letting you take a bathroom break when you need to, letting you call your family when you need to and letting you trusting that you're going to get your work done As you need to and as you see fit to your best abilities and there's a couple other changes you know they took away restrictions where factory workers could go up to the offices officer office workers could go down to the factory Um, and he's injecting empathy into the company and what happens later on it's illustrated by a story of a factory worker who has a medical emergency with his wife who has cancer and he needs to stay home and be with her so that they can take care of this situation. Um, the only issue is he doesn't have enough paid vacation days uh, that he needs to to be home with his wife long enough. And at this point, the company had kind of switched its culture an incredible thing, an incredible demonstration of humanity comes. And that is other factory employees and other office employees actually offered and had their paid vacation days transferred to this gentleman so that he could take paid time off to go be home with his wife and take care of his wife and kids and not have to worry about losing his job. And that's kind of a demonstration of what we would all want, right? That's the kind of culture that we would all want to work in one day. One where our coworkers are willing to sacrifice for us, for the betterment of us, and where we're willing to sacrifice for the betterment of our coworkers, where the people who work there are put above the profits, right where the people are valued more than the dollars that they bring in and what happens is that people work harder they're willing to work longer they're willing to sacrifice for a company that they feel valued and heard at because of what we're going to talk about next and that's the biological reason for all of this you guys know i'm a personal trainer and soon to be dietitian at heart so i love the body i love biology and My first question is almost always, okay, what about my body is making this the reason it is, right? Because yes, as much as we are spiritual and mental beings, we are still still having a biological experience, right? If we have low blood sugar, there's going to be certain things that happen to us. If we're dehydrated, there's going to be certain things that happen to us. And there's only so much that our willpower and our mental power can do. While it can do a lot, uh, our biology is still going to play a very large role in that. So what are the chemicals that cause us to form circles of trust, circles of safety, and what are the chemicals that, if in the wrong balance, actually cause us to have a toxic corporate culture? <clears throat> and there's there's four ones that, when balanced well, form really strong and really robust circles of safety and cause us to be generous and cause us to endure and cause us to you know, fight and form bonds with those around us. And then there's one that kind of disrupts all of this and can actually um, hijack one of the chemicals to really propel us down into a toxic corporate culture. So the four ones that went in balance uh, are their endorphins, which are pain molecules, right? Endorphins is a contraction between endogenous morphine. So it's our body's pain molecule, pain suppressant. And we used to get this Right, we talked about from an uh, evolutionary lens. Why is this important? Well, if we have to go on a long hunt and we have to run miles and miles and miles and miles and miles for hours and hours and hours to track down a gazelle or an animal of prey so we can eat, that's going to be painful, right? Uh, and so we need something to kind of buffer that pain so we can keep going. And that is, uh, those are our endorphins. And this is essentially a biological willingness to suffer right the next one would be dopamine so this is a lot of people associate with this of the molecule of pleasure and it's not quite correct it's more accurately described as a molecule of motivation and pursuit in terms of goals right so humans are a goal-oriented species Uh, i don't care who you see how lazy unmotivated they are they are a goal-driven person whether that be just to get food whether that be to watch the next episode right whether that be to find the coolest next tv show or the coolest pair of shoes or the coolest outfit right or get the brand new iphone or whatever it is we are goal oriented um people just happen to have bigger or smaller and different goals that's the only difference but as a species we are incredibly goal oriented again We need to be goal-oriented to survive, right? We need to build shelter. We need to take care of our young. We need to hunt. We need to protect each other, all in order to survive. And so dopamine is, it's really great because every time we see ourselves, we can tangibly see we're making progress towards an end goal, we get a hit of dopamine, right? And today the big talk of dopamine is around social media. Every time we get likes on a post, boom, we get a hit of dopamine, right? Every time our post gets shared or we have some famous person commenting on it, right, we get a hit of dopamine, Um, you know? And in terms of business, there's a couple ways that we can get more of this. One is a vision statement. There's a reason it's called a vision statement. It's because we need to make a clear vision or a clear picture of what we want and how we're going to get there. Simon talks about an easy way to create that is Construct a vi- vision statement as if everything you did in the world was wildly successful. What would the world look like if that happened? So, if everything your company did or everything that you did was wildly successful, how would that make the world look? Right? What kind of impact would that have? And that's a vision statement because when we can clearly see something. Right, We can then backtrack and we can see individual tangible steps to actually achieve that goal. And seeing those tangible steps is what's going to give us the hit of dopamine that's going to make us more motivated to go to the next step, to make us more motivated to get the next step right, and to continue on until we attain that goal. And then when we attain it, we're going to get, boom, a big hit of dopamine. That's where the molecule of motivation or the molecule of happiness comes in because when you succeed you get a big hit of dopamine so worthwhile goals with a clear vision statement and tangible steps in order to get that so those first two are kind of like the driving force factors right that's going to propel our company and our group sideways these next two though are actually what's going to keep us in having a tight social bond a strong um, circle of safety and those two molecules are serotonin and oxytocin Now serotonin, uh, Simon describes it as the molecule of leadership. And that is because people and animals who have high amounts of serotonin are more confident, they feel stronger, and they're more willing to venture out and go do certain things than those who have low levels of serotonin. Dopamine is in pursuit of something outside of ourselves. And you can think of serotonin as a contentment with something inside of ourselves or where we currently are. And if we feel safe and we feel okay with what we're currently at, we're more okay to go out and venture and try new things, right? So leaders who feel that they are appro- they have the approval of their constituents, the approval of their followers, are more willing to lead them directly and are more willing to go out and fight for their people, right? Because they know that they have their people backing them up. Um, and the cool thing is it's also contagious, Right. So if we see somebody approving, if we approve somebody else and like we're helping us, which is a great way to have service when released is helping and then being helped. Um, we can actually if we see that, right, if we see somebody who their backpack is open and boom, you know, all their stuff falls out and we see another person immediately drop in and help them pick up all their stuff we're going to be like, oh, wow, that's really cool. You know, they're they're a really nice person. We're going to get a hit of serotonin from that. And us just witnessing it makes us more likely to go out later in our day and help somebody else. And now that person gets a hit of uh, serotonin who we just helped. And whoever saw us help that gets a hit of serotonin. And so it's this contagious chemical that makes us feel good and makes us feel content, right? Like we just feel this peace and this acceptance in life and when we have high levels of that we're more willing to go do that and help other people right so having serotonin makes you more willing to perpetuate and to proliferate the effects of serotonin by helping out others so how we can get more of this is one incentivize or celebrate people's efforts right when somebody goes above and beyond and they help somebody else out celebrate that this is why we have award shows This is why we have banquets That's why we have employee of the month, Um, but also incentivize service and then allow people to help you. So if we want to have motivation, we need to be celebrating people's efforts and achievements. We need to be incentivizing service. And then we need to have people allow us, allow, we need to allow people to help us, right? And the last one, this one I think is really kind of the final nail in the coffin to have a strong relationship and a strong robust circle of safety and that is oxytocin which is the chemical of love and trust it's uh what makes us feel human it's what makes us feel social connection right and this one is pretty much like helping out others investing time into others this is now like when newborns are born they have skin-to-skin contact with the with the parents and the caregivers Why? Because that skin-to-skin contact is going to release oxytocin. This is the pair bonding molecules. We're actually going to forge bonds of trust with people. And it doesn't happen instantly, right? Like, yes, that child getting skin-to-skin contact with their parents is going to initiate that. But if that's the only time they get contact or they get that release, that bond is still not going to be very strong Right, so it needs to be continuous, it needs to be developed. Right, that's why, like, love at first sight so often fails because it's not actually a release of oxytocin, it's a release of dopamine and infatuation. That oh, this person is getting me what I want, oh, this person is you know making me feel heard or whatever. You know, I'm, I feel like I have a status because I have a significant other, um, but then you ask somebody who has been married for 40, 50, 60 years. You ask them to describe the relationship, and they can't really describe it, but you see a twinkle in their eyes, and you can feel what it means, right? These all these chemicals are not acting on a rational brain; they're acting on our limbic brain, our emotional brain. And our emotional brain actually doesn't have access to our language centers, so it's too deep. our language centers to inhibit it which is why it's so hard for people to describe their emotions and i think that might be why so many people struggle with um, describing their emotions and feeling heard because physically our language centers in our brain are like too high up right they're like like they're too snooty for our emotional centers so there's a disconnect and that's why it can be really hard to um articulate what it feels like to be heard, what articulate what it feels like to be loved. But we know what it feels like, right? We don't necessarily have to have words to understand the feeling. And so in these four molecules, endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin are all in concert and they're all in synergy. We get a really strong, robust culture, circle of safety, and people feel heard and they're willing to have the best benefits for the company. Now, there's an enemy to all of these, and that is cortisol. I'm sure all of us know this as the chemical stress hormone. I've heard in tons of different sections. And as I mentioned earlier, this high cortisol paired up with high dopamine is essentially the bedrock of a toxic corporate culture or a toxic team environment, you know, where it's dog eat dog, and I'm going to do the best despite whether or not you do the best. You know, I'm not going to help you. Because I detract from my ability to help myself. And so this is cortisol triggers our fight or flight response. And something interesting about this is if we are in a high stress state, this actually shuts down our rational brain and an area of our brain called our hippocampus, which is our memory center. And if our hippocampus is shut down, it is actually incredibly difficult for us to form new memories, meaning if... We are raised up in an extremely uh, stressful environment. It's hard for us to learn how to get out of that. right? It's hard for us to learn coping skills to deal with the stress or uh, mechanisms and techniques to actually stand up for ourselves and be a stronger person so that we can do what's right for us and get out of that toxic environment. Because we can't form the new memories to actually learn how to do that. So we just get stuck in this mode of survival all right, trauma patients are key examples of that. It's when you relive the trauma, right, when your stress is so high, you can't get out of that state. And so you just, you can't learn, right? Like, and so you just keep repeating the same patterns over and over again. Um, but what I learned about this book, I actually hadn't heard about this, is having high levels of serotonin and oxytocin, so feeling content in yourself and feeling supported socially, <clears throat> are one of the strongest buffers for having high cortisol levels. So it's not just about the stress of the work. Um, that can actually be buffered by having a sense of connection and commitment to your work environment, which is pretty incredible because that means we, if we have strong social connections, we can buffer ourselves against a stressful work environment. I think soldiers are a key... Are a critical example of this, you know. Nowhere bef- and no other group would you see somebody more readily willing to jump on a grenade to save their fellow soldiers than in the military, right? You're not going to see somebody at co- in a corporate America jump on a, you know, proverbial grenade in order to save everybody else. That's just not very common. But because the bonds of between soldiers are so strong, you hear things like. It's easier to go and fight than it is to stay in the trenches, even though going to fight might mean I die. It's easier to go risk my life and never see my family again because my bond with my fellow soldiers is so strong than it is to save my life and ensure that I'll go see my family. That is social connection. That is a deep, deep sense of connectedness and bondingness that you will not find that is incredibly difficult to find. Not that you won't find anywhere else, but being more willing to die than to go see your loved ones again because your bond with a group of people is so strong and You know that they're going out to go do the same thing. That is incredible. And you can't tell me that war is not incredibly stressful, but that bond helps buffer the effects of that stress. And then Simon kind of ends the book, and this is kind of where I'm going to end the Cliff Notes version of this, uh, with five steps in order to kind of combat this, right? And this is, well, the first one, it's actually six. I added the first one. The first one is be a leader, right? Be the person who initiates these steps. Be the person, be the bigger person, right? Be the one who puts effort into other people because... As we saw with serotonin, if we see somebody putting effort into somebody else, that's contagious. And that person who sees it or that person who receives it is now more likely to do that to somebody else. So step number one is be a leader. Step number two is to like bring people together. Real face-to-face connections. Not any of this virtual bullshit or social media bullshit. Because we all know it's not anywhere close to the same as in-person face-to-face contact. Right, if you meet somebody on an online dating site, you don't really know anything about that person until you meet them in real life. Right, there's always that little voice in the back of your head that maybe they're a catfish, they're not actually this great. Maybe it's just like an old creepy dude in his underwear that you know, living in his 80 year old mother's basement that's just you know, creeping on you. It's not actually the person you want. Number two is Dunbar's number, and this is something we didn't talk about, but it's maxing connections at about 150 people. And there's an archaeological reason for this, which is our tribes, when we were tribal about 10,000 years ago, uh, maxed out at about 100 to 150 people. And uh, this also is kind of the magic number because having more than this, people start to have weaker social bonds, uh, social systems start to degrade, and we don't see as much... um, The circles of safety are not as strong, right? And so having less than this, we still have enough people that we can have strong circles of safety. And um, Also, 150 people is about the max number of people you can remember and actually know personally. Uh, More than that, some people can remember more, some people can't, but that's kind of the average where you can have a real relationship with about that many people. Number three, is meet the people you help, right? So if you're helping somebody, it's you know donating to a cause. Go out to that cause, you know, and meet those people because it's going to make it much more real and much more uh, uh, visceral to you, right? Like you're actually going to be able to feel what you're doing is worthwhile instead of just you know clicking a button because distance, or what's in the book describes it as abstraction makes it easier to you know not care not act with humanity and i think we all know that uh based off of cyber bullying i actually just yesterday had a buddy send me pictures of somebody yelling at him and actually caught, saying a lot of racial slurs to him because he's asian uh because simply because he does sumo deadlifts not conventional right and he's like oh you're, you're cheating man and you know and he's like get your ching ching kong and go back and do conventional deadlifts and like really things that i can guarantee you that person would not say if they were in person um and so i think just being in person with people and actually meeting who are helping is going to make it a a lot more real like yes what the work that we're doing is real it is tangible we can see the effects of it Uh, but two it's also going to almost force us to be more uh Act with more humility and more humanity towards people, which the world is definitely lacking today. And the last one, or no, sorry, number five, not the last one, is give time more than money, right? I think this can be summed up by uh, if you had two friends and you're moving and one sent you a check of, you know, five grand to pay for all the moving people, the moving companies and everything you need to move financially – but another friend actually gave up their entire day to help you pack boxes, pack them into the moving truck, and then move them to wherever your new place is and unpack them, which of those two friends do you value more? Do you value the one that paid for everything but wasn't there, didn't give you their time a day, or do you value the one who gave you their time and actually invested their time and energy into you? Um, and I guarantee you almost everybody would say the person who gave their time is more valuable than the one who paid. So give your time to people, right? And that's where that leads to the first step. Be the leader and start the process, kick it off. And the last one is be patient, right? These things don't happen overnight. Uh, We talked about this stemming all the way from the 60s. That was 60 years ago, right? It's 2022 and this didn't start to the mid 60s. So, right, it's going to take time. It's going to take patience for a vast number of cultures to change. However, we can start changing them on the small scale because as we know with serotonin, the more small scale changes we make and the more people we directly impact, the more likely those people are going to spread that serotonin out, the more helpful those people are going to be out, the more generous those people are going to be. And then those people that they help are then going to have the same results and they're going to help out another person. Boom, now we have an entire... Uh, city that has a different culture. And then that city is going to spread out to the state and then to the region and then to the country. And then if we're freaking lucky enough and we do this long enough to the whole world and we can all stop beefing over stupid things and come together as people, right? But it, it starts with you and I being leaders and putting people first, right? It starts with you and I being leaders and putting the best For people first and actually showing that we care for people not just trying to trick people into thinking that we care but actually caring being genuine with it and That's kind of I think the best best thing that this uh, Book can describe as being genuine and there's there's a quote I want to end on that really sums up this this book and it goes people are not a tool to be managed to make money grow but money is a tool to be managed to grow people. And I think that really sums up the, the overall message of this book. So yeah, so guys, that's, that's it. That's the first episode of Kanadi's Cliff Notes. I hope you found some value in it. It was a little bit longer than I thought. We're about an hour uh, so far. Uh, but <laughs> so, but that's a lot less time than you would spend reading the book. Uh, so if you found any value in today's episode, guys, please go ahead and implement it in your own life. Step up and be a leader, guys. We need it. We need more of them. And we need genuine leaders who care about people now more than ever. So with that, guys, go out, kick some butt, and earn a good day. Peace.